0: This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so.
1: If you need support, you can call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.
0: And And this this is DBT and me. Hi, everyone. Hello. It's Q&A time. It is Q&A time. time. (laughs) I I think I'm a little like, oh, even it's been how many months? I still feel like we've been doing this because we were, (laughs) I did so many right before you left.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that I'm really aware of, too, is like for you listeners, it's not going to feel like we took a break from Q&As because, We've been releasing them Through every it. couple of yeah. weeks over the last few months. But for us, we haven't recorded a Q&A in quite some time. Like six so, months or something. Yeah, it's been a little while. So <laughs> we're perhaps feeling a little rusty with the Q&As, but it's we're excited true. to dive in. Um, disclaimer, there are a number of long, well, three long emails. They are... <laughs> they came to us in email form. So yeah, we'll do our best to give as much detail as we can from what we heard from those listeners. And some of them were edited down. But yeah, there's a there's been a lot of really good content, content coming in yeah. from A's. It's just, people are asking good questions <laughs> and we're gonna try to give our best responses as much as we can. But the first one that Kate's gonna start off with is short. It's and then true. We get, Real in-depth from there with what we're what we're reading today. And I'm totally going to
0: read my thing, but I have to say, all right, you guys all know by now that Michelle records from a closet, which someday I hope will be different, mm-hmm. but it entertains me endlessly. And she has a jacket hanging down today that looks like yes. one of those microphones, like the way that I looks, look, like, it's looking to be like you have one of those professional radio microphones dangling down in I front wish of I your did. face. <laughs> anyway. That would be very cool. But I know, it's right? It's just a sleeve. <laughs> Anyway, I just, I just had to share because I thought that was entertaining. Okay,
1: that so
0: on we go. The first one reads, when I have big, sorry, when I have really big emotions, I tend to thrash around and scream and throw stuff. Yes, I know this is bad. Please don't yell at me. When I feel like I'm not being heard or if something really upsetting is said, this is my almost immediate reaction. Does anyone else have really big emotions? How do I fix this? I'm nearly 30 years old, and I'm literally like a toddler throwing a tantrum. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I loved when this was posted in the Facebook group. I mean, not because it's clear that this listener is struggling. Yes. And at the same time, this is something I say to my clients a lot. I'm like, we still throw tantrums as adults. It might look a little bit different than when we were toddlers, but we still throw tantrums. Love it part of being human (laughs) um and i tell my clients as well sometimes that we are born into one body sometimes we change this body right we can have surgeries tattoos and piercings and things can happen that changes our body and naturally our body grows from a child to a teenager to an adult our bodies evolve and change over time of course but your three-year-old self Your your toddler self, like, yep, you were once a toddler in this body. And even though many years have passed since you were a toddler, yeah, you did those same things in this same body that you're still inhabiting. So what I mean by that is that some of this stuff that feels really old, it sticks around. (laughs) It, It just, it does, it sticks around because we're in the same body. What you experienced at three years old, you experienced in this body. Even though now it's an adult, um, so I mean, really, what I hear from this listener is like, my first impression was that there's just a wounded younger part, and especially that second sentence where they say, "Yes, I know this is bad. Please don't yell at me." Like my heart ached a little mm-hmm. bit because it mm-hmm. just sounded like a like a like a little child, because you know, kids can be that way when they think they've done something bad. They're like, "Please don't get mad at me." Mm-hmm. It's a very like young child thing to think and feel so my heart just went out to this listener when I when I read that part of like no we're not going to yell at you and actually I would say this maybe is not as bad as you think it is too right um it's okay to scream arguably may not be super healthy for the relationships you have in your life, if you are screaming at (laughs) people. (laughs) But I I also, I've I've told clients sometimes, I'm like, go sit in your car and scream. Mm -hmm. Go do it, why not? What's the harm? It's not gonna do anything bad. (laughs) Go sit in your car and scream.
0: Go scream into a pillow. screaming is
1: okay. (laughs) Yep, scream into a pillow, exactly. Screaming isn't bad. Um, The thrashing isn't bad either, as long as you're not physically harming yourself. So really a lot of times when it comes to expressing emotions, as long as it's not harming you, another person, yeah, this listener talks about throwing stuff. Ideally, we don't want to harm property either. Um, as long as it's not doing those things, more or less, they're in a lot of regards to how that emotion might want to be expressed. And my hope is that if you are screaming and thrashing and all of that, that you feel a sense of release afterwards, that would be my hope is that if you do that for a couple minutes maybe you'll have a feeling of being lighter a little bit better after releasing all of that from your system kind of empty and
0: waiting a little bit
1: yeah yeah definitely like my hope is that yeah you're having this big emotional release and that it's helping you in some way um but I also hear this listener where maybe they don't want to do this anymore. So for as much as I can sit here and be like, hey, go <laughs> ahead, scream and thrash. It's okay. They're like, I don't want to do that. I want to find an alternative. Um, and so when I think about what else you could do, is, as far as DBT skills go, I mean, I think tip could really be helpful here, um, especially like the temperature piece of it and the intense exercise piece. That may be really helpful in terms of giving you that emotional release, but it might not resemble a tantrum as much. So that's what I would recommend is turn to some of the stuff from Tip and see what that does for you instead.
0: Yeah. What about you, Kate? Well, first of all, not so much the screaming and thrashing, but I just want to empathize because I have totally thrown stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Mostly not breakable things. On one memorable occasion a mug met an untimely end. Um but yeah. <laughs> mostly, but anyway, empathy. I get it. Shit sucks. I'm sorry. Um I wanted to start off just by echoing Tip, uh especially the intense exercise as you said, Michelle. Uh just doubling down on that part, because if you think about it, the kind of tantrum that you're describing throwing is intense exercise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it looks to me like your body wants that kind of release. And maybe if you just channel that into some specific and deliberate physical action, uh, you might not be so caught off guard with actions you don't want to be taking. Um, Other than that, I also think about stop. Um, This person said that it's, this is my almost immediate reaction. So I was really honing in on that almost wondering right mm-hmm. if there might be a space to to change directions a little bit at that almost place um and so if you can sort of feel yourself building up right to that point where you're like oh shit <laughs> like i'm about to start throwing stuff and screaming at people right like this is big maybe you can do uh the stop skill right literally stop take a step away like right deep breaths. Um, if you're able, I do know that almost immediate can feel pretty freaking immediate. So there's that. Um, and then the only other skill that I thought about, um, if I think about this relationally was maybe using give to repair after the outbursts. So, you know, whatever relationship may have taken some damage, uh, due to your, uh, I think they call it outbursts, right, um, or tantrums, uh, you know, my, maybe practicing some give with that person to to help repair, you know, whatever was harmed or hurt there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. those are my thoughts. Yeah, I really like that.
1: Okay, next one. So this says, hi, Kate and Michelle. I love you guys. Aww. I know. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, I'm a therapist and recommend your podcast to so many of my clients. Just a comment slash suggestion. Oh, boy. See? Out of practice, you guys. Just a comment slash suggestion to get a teenage boy to not think mindfulness is lame. And then they say, I'm behind and on old episode Q&A 15. Depending on his interests, find celebrities or role models that use mindfulness to encourage him that it is cool. Many pro athletes use it to get them in the zone for performing as well as other celebrities. That's a good tip. Okay. Then they go on to say, I'm struggling in my relationship with my husband. We moved across the country in Canada in September, and now we are in a city where neither of us know anyone. I do have some friends and family that are within one to three hours, but he has no one. COVID is a difficult time to meet others. This is not really related, but just background that we are both socially isolated right now. We do not communicate well. He tells me that I need to talk to him and share what's going on, and I should know not to hold things in because I'm a therapist. I don't feel comfortable sharing things with people due to invalidating responses in the past, not just from him, but others too. A recent example, we went to meet our new general practitioner as a family. We went through my medical history and I had disclosed a history of anxiety and depression on my forms. The doctor asked a few questions about it, like medications, etc. And later that day, my husband made fun of me for telling the doctor that I had a history of depression and anxiety. He told me I was just saying it for attention. This is just one of many examples of times I have felt minimized or invalidated for sharing things about my emotions. So my question is, what skills should I be focusing on? I feel a fear of interpersonal skills because I have regularly felt worse after sharing my thoughts and feelings with others, not just my husband. Or do I practice radical acceptance that he is not going to be able to support me emotionally in the way that I would like? From a therapist that loves helping others but doesn't like to be vulnerable or accept help from herself
0: so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Lots to touch on. I know. So, where to start? Uh, First of all, I don't know. Especially if you guys have been listening to us for a while, and especially, especially if you've dipped over to the other podcast, uh, The Couch and the Chair, um, hopefully everyone knows that it's perfectly common to be a therapist and still have their own struggles. So, I -hmm. will say I want to punch people. Not literally. I say that. I've never... Have I ever? I don't think I've ever punched a human being, like, at all. Anyway, meant to simply express, I have a lot of ire (laughs) towards people who say we should know better or shouldn't do this other thing because we're therapists. Ger and also ARG. So, I'll just put that in there. Um, We're still human! (laughs) (laughs) Just because you're a mechanic doesn't mean your car never breaks down. The, uh, so. Anyway, so that. Um, Also, super giant. Uh, piles of validation. I, uh, you, your husband may be a wonderful person overarchingly, but the particular bit that you let us in on, that's a bit of a dick. Like, that is a bit of a dick move there. And so, I don't want you to feel like you are, I don't know, doing badly at interpersonal skills because you're getting invalidated and minimized when you share. Uh, one of the things that we focus in on a lot, especially, I would say, Michelle, uh, on the interpersonal effectiveness module, is you can be doing absolutely everything right, and it does not mean the interaction will go well, because it involves another yep. human. Mm-hmm. And you can only do you. Um, so, yeah. Uh, also, I don't know. Not all of the interpersonal skills involve being really sharing. So the first thing that I thought about was, in fact, an interpersonal skill, but it was fast Um, to advocate for uh, yourself when your husband or others aren't being respectful, right? Fast is really about holding true to your values, standing firm with your boundaries, right? And I think that might be a place uh, to lean in for this listener. Uh, Maybe eventually you and the people around you can foster a sense of safety where you feel more like sharing, but maybe the first thing you do is Defend your right not to share, not to put yourself in harm's way, you know, in that relationship. Maybe I'm taking this too seriously, but the the things that they said made me really irked at the husband. So there we go. Um, And then the last thing that I was thinking about is, uh, with regards to radical acceptance, just because the listener mentioned in that one as well, is it is perfectly acceptable and maybe even sensible to practice some radical acceptance that your husband is the human that he is right now. Like just coming to terms that that is what is true in this moment. But that's not to say to get resigned to a bad situation, right? I always, whenever talking about radical acceptance, want to make sure that people understand that radically accepting something doesn't mean it's acceptable, right? We differentiate those ideas. Um, It just means you know what you're working with. Right. So don't use a you know, I'm radically accepting that he can't support me, so I guess I stay in a non supportive environment. Right. Like actually, radical acceptance can often be a space that fuels action uh and change. Right? Because you just have to really acknowledge something for what it is before you can make real strides towards changing it. So um yeah, I don't know. Did I touch on a lot? I felt <laughs> I think you do great. Okay. So fast and radical acceptance if you want to. And you don't have to share any more of yourself than you feel safe doing so. So there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about
1: the mechanic whose car doesn't break down. Thank you. That's a perfect way to think about it. Because, Yeah. I think as therapists we can put that pressure on ourselves and society puts that pressure on us and it and it isn't fair. It's not <laughs> so you, fair.
0: No, like oh you're a yeah. therapist, you know you have no personal problems or mental health issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. huh. Yep. Yeah. Um along those lines,
1: listener, everything I'm about to say to you, I got from my therapist. <laughs> Even though uh, I'm sure the nuts and bolts of our situations are different. Ah, uh, gosh, Yeah, I feel like you sometimes where I try my very best to communicate or I'm just struggling to share if I'm struggling, right? Like if I'm having a hard time, mm-hmm. my gut reaction is to try to
0: act like I'm fine.
1: There's some willfulness for you. <laughs> um, I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to show that I'm struggling. I just want to keep going and act like everything's okay. And my husband has pointed this out to me where he's like, I can't read your mind. If you're having a hard time, you need to tell me. I'm like, oh yeah, he's right. But I struggle to do that sometimes too. So with that, what I'm working on with my therapist and what I'll pass on to you is that it's really important to make sure that if you are trying to share whether it's with your husband or with other people if you are trying to share you need to make sure that you're going to be in a good spot yourself because if you're anything like me when i'm about to open up sometimes i get nervous (laughs) i'm like "Uh uh-oh what if they don't receive this well or am i going to say this as you know as articulately as i want to what if this conversation goes left and turns into an argument and when we go into the conversation with all of those fears, it's even if it's very subtle, that's going to impact how we communicate. And so, if you can go into a conversation as much in a calm space as you can, that's going to be good for you. And like Kate was saying, we can't control the other person's response, we can't control their reaction. But at least you're going into it in a good headspace rather than going into it in this nervous, freaking out, how's this going to go, what's he going to say kind of headspace because that's not healthy for you. Um, so to do that, we want to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. Woohoo! How do we do fun that? Um, <laughs> yeah, fun times, right? The rest and digest response. That's what we want. Um, And so a great way to do that is it is simple, but it works. Take some deep breaths. (laughs) Try to make your exhale longer than your inhale. And that will get you there. Um, Half smile and willing hands can also be great tools to utilize as well. That can also activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So take some time, even if it's just a minute or two, before you go to talk with someone as you're trying to open up take some time to do that stuff first so that you're in a good headspace. Um, I agree with you, right? You know, you're like, um, feel a fear of interpersonal skills, right? I don't know if, yeah, introducing interpersonal skills is necessarily (laughs) the first stuff to take on right now because I do think it's important to focus on you first. So, uh, yeah, I understand that there. Um, The other thing that I'll add in because the sense also that I got from this email is that like right now like you're feeling kind of lost. You've moved. You don't have your support system around you. It's COVID. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> there's just lots of things that you're readjusting to and adapting to and that that is going to make it harder for you and for your husband Give him a little validation too. Neither of you are going to be able to regulate your emotions as well when you're going through such a big transition. It's going to be really tough to do that. But what can really help you there is using please and having please be your anchor. If you can try to touch on as many elements of please in a day as you can, that will help you to make sure that you're trying to get consistent sleep, trying to move your body every day, trying to, when it comes to eating, to pick foods that are going to feel good in your body, whatever that means or looks like for you. These are going to be things that will help you through this transitional time. Um, And, you know, even though, yep, there's a lot of stuff going on with the dynamic between you and your husband, don't want to call the shots or name whether you should stay or go or any of that (laughs) stuff, right? Couples counseling. Might be a good idea here. Um, but at the same time, like my hope for you, listener, is that once the two of you come through this transition and once you kind of really build in some self-care practices for yourself, that no matter what's going on with your husband or how he's responding to you, you're just going to feel better day to day. That's my hope for you. Um, so. Yeah, that's my stuff there. I like
0: it. Also, I love, it's rare that we, uh, that we actively contradict each other at all. So I love that I'm like, fast, and you're like, I don't know about interpersonal stuff. Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> I, I do
1: agree with you that out of all the interpersonal <laughs> stuff, fast would be a good
0: one to go to. <laughs> right, I just love it, right? Because we're different still, you and I. Yeah. Um, all right, next one says, hello, ladies. First off, I am thoroughly enjoying your podcast and am binging through it. Here's my situation that I'd like your input on. I'll even try to use a skill of reporting the facts without judgments. I, female, have cheated on my husband several times in the past year. And last night, my husband, literally, threw me out of the house. After being together for over a decade, I told him last year that I'm bisexual and that I feel unsatisfied with our marriage and would like to add a girlfriend to my life. He reacted with kindness, not judgment. Sometimes he seemed interested, but ultimately he said no. But I made matches on apps and ended up meeting with some and talking with others over a long time, trying to make plans to meet. When my husband found out, he was devastated and very upset. He threatened divorce a few times. We went from sex counseling to couples counseling, and in the process I realized I was pretty solid in the quiet BPD spectrum. So then I started DBT and counseling with a counselor who specializes in BPD clients. I think the DBT lessons helped me become honest with myself and to acknowledge just how miserable I am in the marriage. But just after I had decided to commit myself to the marriage and be done meeting others, the worst happened. My best friend and I fell in love and had an affair. Having friends has always been very hard for me because I always end up with a crush on anyone who gives me any kind of attention. And of course, typical favorite person stuff makes me obsess over a certain friend, usually one at a time. This time, it just happened that this friend came on to me, which, by the way, felt so amazing and super validating. I'm not talking with her or anyone else anymore, and have tried to show my husband that I want to make things work, though the honest truth is I have a lot of hurt and resentment from the way I've felt treated, and cheated on, by him throughout our entire marriage. He snapped last night when he found out that I had used a secret phone to talk to her for a while, and said he can't live with a liar and a cheater. I'm pretty well numb and having a tough time processing and thinking. I'm trying not to let any emotion surface so I won't spiral out of control and do more bad things to myself. Self-harm and suicide are regular issues. Or to our marriage, like more cheating. I do realize it's my fault and I've done so much wrong, which I am sorry for. But I'm not ready or able to give him what he wants to reconcile, and I don't know if I can feel remorse, especially under so much pressure. I don't want to stay with him in the relationship the way things are. I'm willing to stay with him because it is practical and good, but I don't have any hope of being happy with him. Please talk to me more about remorse. If you have some input or ideas, please let me know. Thanks.
1: Yeah, a lot in that email as well. Yes. Relationship stuff is just, it's complex. (laughs) Tough. Yeah, and very tough. Absolutely. Um, it stood out to me, listener, when you talked about feeling numb. I had a conversation with a client just the other day about this, where, um, you know, this client of mine is struggling in her relationship and kind of in that place of do I stay or do I go and that kind of a thing. And what I basically said to her is, I don't worry when people feel angry at their partner. I I don't don't worry. I also don't worry when people are like, we're trying this, it's not working. I'm trying that, it's not working. And then, okay, maybe I'll just try this other thing. Those are good signs. I know it's uncomfortable. (laughs) It doesn't feel good to feel angry at your partner and it doesn't feel good to be trying things to improve your relationship and feeling like nothing's working. That's not good. But I don't worry as much about those couples. I do worry when people start saying things like, I'm feeling pretty well numb. When you're not feeling anything anymore, that's a problem. If you're at the point where there's not really a desire to work on the relationship, that's a problem. Um, So I do worry that your relationship may be over emotionally even if you stay. Um, don't get me wrong, people can some you know, every relationship goes through rough patches for sure. There may be days or sometimes even weeks or months where it's like, God, I'm not feeling much of anything towards my partner, but then it comes back, right? Depending on how long you've been feeling this way, though, um, and the degree of numbness, yeah, it, it doesn't bode doesn't, well, <laughs> it doesn't bode well, yeah, super perfect way to put it. Um, And then, so if we talk about remorse, right? The definition of remorse, because I know what it means, but I wanted to look it up anyways to get it clear (laughs) and concise, the definition, uh, is deep regret or guilt for a wrong committed. Here's the thing, though. That doesn't mean that you have to punish yourself for that wrong. Um, And, yeah, you can recognize, ooh, I really... I really messed up (laughs) like this is not good what I did and yet you don't have to punish yourself indefinitely for that and so I wanted to name that too when you say um, because you're trying not to spiral out of control and do more bad things to yourself you don't need to do bad things to yourself right like you don't have to punish yourself for the cheating um, remorse does not equate to, I have to beg on my hands and knees and grovel and do whatever this person wants and hate myself because of the horrible things that I've done. Nope. You don't have to do any of that. Um, cause the other thing here is that it really sounds like your husband views you as the, as the bad guy, right? You were the one who cheated. This is also a very common dynamic in relationships and in society at large. The person who did the cheating is the bad guy sometimes people don't always see what all preceded the actual cheating um it's not like everything's going along great <laughs> bam cheating um occasionally but that's that's pretty rare that's pretty rare um so this is Something between the two of you that needs repair, if it's going to be repaired. This isn't just that because you're the one who cheated, you need to fix yourself and, again, punish yourself and try to make everything better. Nope, it's going to take both of you um, to make this better. Again, that's another thing. If in a relationship, one or both people are pointing at the other and saying, you're the bad guy, we're not going to get very far in healing the relationship. Um, you have to both be able to say, and take responsibility for any contributions that happened in the dynamic that precipitated this. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, as far as DBT goes, <laughs> to bring it back to that, um, <laughs> I honestly heard lots of dialectics in your email. And I think that's important to keep in mind, right? You hurt your husband and he's also hurt you at times. You can feel bad about what happened and... You can still decide to end your marriage. Like, you don't have to be like, well, I completely messed up, so now I have to stay in this to try to make it better because of my mistake. Nope. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. Um, Kate mentioned fast to the last listener. (laughs) I'm going to mention fast here um, because I, and more than anything, I think this is about applying fast to yourself. To really look at, you know, being fair to yourself and fair to your husband. Um, but also like, I don't know, really being clear on what you do and do not need to apologize for. There may be some legitimate things to apologize for here, but there also may be some things that you don't need to take responsibility for. So being really clear about, about that, um, being truthful and honest with yourself and him and really looking at what you value when it comes to a relationship. And if you feel like the marriage that you're in right now will be in line with what you value. Um, so yeah. That's all my stuff. Quite a bit there.
0: <laughs> we both say so yeah a lot at the end of our <laughs> thing. We do. Yeah, there's no good way to end it. There's no good way so, to end the little the little bit when you're done talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely agree with you. Um also you're sad you're in a closet and I think the sunset's pretty. Oh well. Oh I can see it on the trees. Anyway. Uh <laughs> Kate's not easily distractible. not at all. Um, let's see. So There's so much. I'm trying to, uh, I don't know, sometimes Michelle and I overlap, but I do try and cover sometimes different things than she does and vice versa. One of the first things I was wondering about is, like, have you checked in with your wise mind about most or any of the decisions that you talk about facing? Um, Right? Michelle was hearing dialectics, which I hear there too, but also there's a lot of, like, I have no hope of being happy, but I'll stay because it's practical or something like that, right? There's this are you taking your whole self into account, right? I guess with you're making these choices. Um, one of the reasons I wonder about that is because in a relationship where you don't have any hope of being happy, it might be difficult to act the way you want to act, right? You may not do well but not to say most people i don't know it it might be really really hard to be the wife and partner that you want to be if you're just constantly miserable right like that makes it hard to be a supportive partner makes it hard to be a an honest partner it makes it hard not to cheat makes it hard right like there's a lot of things that it sounds like you'd like to be in your marriage that are going to be really awfully hard to be If you have no hope of being happy, right? There you go. You latched on to numb Michelle and I latched on to the no hope of being happy. Um, Right. So just, just an invitation to try and look at your wise mind with that one. Um, It's not just the big decisions of like stay or go, but just with, you know, a lot of the decisions that you're facing around this might benefit from, you know, dipping into a wise mind space um, and seeing you know if you can find answers that feel right um though a reminder that just because something feels right doesn't mean it's going to feel easy so don't necessarily wait for the easy answers or the ones that feel good um but the ones that feel right uh let's see what else i was thinking about you know you asked about remorse um and i think michelle you mentioned it a little bit so i'll just say also that i don't think remorse can be forced i really think it's just something that gets there on its own or it doesn't um so if you're not feeling remorse maybe like forgiveness a little bit (laughs) yeah exactly right you can't be like all right someone's gonna make me feel remorse or i'm gonna make myself feel remorse right it doesn't it sort of has to come you can strive towards it right you can work on it but uh under pressure is a hard place to find it um Also, uh, Michelle, you were talking about the self-harm and stuff as as punishment. I know from my experience, it was less about punishment and more about just emotional overwhelm in general. But either way, I did want to suggest to this listener that they might want to try TIP. If they find themselves, like, with their emotions starting to slip the leash. Um, And, you know, to bring it back down to a more manageable level before... She gets to a place where she feels so overwhelmed that she is in the self-harm or suicide camp. Um, tip can be really helpful for that. So it can ride the wave, depending on who you are. Tip is more of a I need my body to get it done <laughs> rather than my brain. And if you feel able to like ride it out mentally or emotionally, then ride the wave is great. Uh, and then most broadly, uh <laughs> simply emotion regulation skills, right, are gonna be. I think just helpful in almost every facet of the stuff that you were describing. So yeah. See? So yeah. <laughs> Sucking out. Sucking out. Okay. Yes.
1: My We've God. We've probably
0: been doing that on a The Q&A whole time. For I a know. long time and <laughs> we
1: just now realized it. And now, now
0: I'm going to be all in my head and notice every time we do it, at least for the rest of tonight. Ah! But not before we Very do it. Funny. No, no. I'll only notice right after uh-huh. it comes out of our mouths. Yep. Jiminy That's Christmas. what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> last one
1: for today is it okay oh it is okay yep yeah already dear kate and michelle thank you so much for creating your podcast i'm a new listener and so grateful to have found you i wanted to send in a request for advice i have major depressive disorder generalized anxiety and was recently diagnosed with adhd i'm in my mid-30s on medications and see a therapist weekly my therapy is traditional talk therapy, and I get the sense I would benefit from the structure, skills-based learning, and homework that comes with DBT. I'm on a DBT wait list, but was told it could be up to six months to get in. Boo. This is what I – sorry,
0: what was that? I said boo. Six months to get in. Oh, it's so hard. Sorry, I didn't really mean to derail to you. <laughs> no, it's okay.
1: <laughs> they say, this is what I'm struggling with. I work as a veterinary technician and i am beyond burned out. COVID has really been a nail in the coffin for my career. Clients have been so hostile. The doctors and managers have unrealistic expectations. We are short-staffed, and people are adopting new animals with no social socialization. So it feels like they are all aggressive, and I'm physically spent every day. I have an application in with a nursing school, and hope to hear back in March. By the way, we're behind on content. So yeah, <laughs> I hope you, back.
0: Back, <laughs> hope you heard back, listener. We hope you've heard back by now.
1: Yeah, it's end of March as we're recording this. Week. Okay. <laughs> As such, it does not make sense for me to quit my job right now. However, every day I enter the building where I work, I get heart palpitations and a deep feeling of rage that physically hurts my insides. I cry at least once a day at work because I get so angry. I'm aware this is harmful to only myself, and I need to find ways to cope with my situation. So I turn to DBT. I've tried to figure out what I could do to self-soothe. I smell lavender oils, but I can't walk around all day at work huffing lavender (laughs) oils. I've tried staring at YouTube videos of an ocean. I tried doing visualization exercises, like imagining I'm putting my anger in a box, but I feel too overwhelmed to focus on a visualization exercise. I was wondering if you could point me to DBT skills that I could practice to cope with my burnout and the deep feelings of anger I have at my job.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel so much of this. Um, no, I never, not that I ever worked in a veterinary clinic, but it, just a lot of what this listener talks about hits home for me when I was on the precipice of leaving community mental health. Like, I used to spend a good portion of my nearly hour long commute into work every day crying because I so badly did not want to go into that building and do the thing anymore. Um, and so just a lot of, a lot of empathy on that one listener. Um, next thought is, first of all, heck yeah, those are so many skills that you're trying and that's awesome. Um, the downside is I think a considerable number of them are, uh, distress tolerance skills more than emotion regulation skills, and I think we need to swap them up a bit. Um, that being said, the first thing I'm going to recommend is a, uh, technically is a distress tolerance skill. (laughs) Shush. Don't mind me contradicting myself immediately. Um, but that's tip. Um, the reason I thought about tip is Because it sounds to me, listener, like you're trying to apply techniques that work really well for emotions that are maybe as high as a six. If you stretch it really hard, maybe a seven on the emotional scale. I'd say five to six more. Um, When it sounds like your actual emotions are hanging out at like an eight, nine, ten. So I was thinking about ways that you could bring your emotions down a bit. Uh, to where more of those self-soothing types of activities could work better. Um, like, for instance, I don't know, wherever you work, could you do some form of intense exercise right before walking in? Give your body a little spurt of fight or flight before you even get into the building. You might be in a little bit more of a receptive, calm, quieter state before you get going with things. It might help you be more even-keeled. Um, when not in the workplace, you might try cope ahead right? Do things to help rehearse how you want to feel, how you want to behave, uh, the actions that you want to take when you're not in the setting itself, right? To help yourself maybe get in something of a groove, starting with your imagination. Um, Let's see, also accumulating positive experiences from the ABCs um, outside of work, so that can help to Uh, How do I want to put that? Uh, Balance out the scales a little bit, right? Um, One thing I always say to clients is that the world and life itself is going to do a fine job of filling up the shit side of your scales. Like, it it doesn't need help. You don't need to look for bad things to happen. They will happen regularly enough to keep that side taken care of. On the other hand, sometimes we have to actually try for the good things, right? We have to be deliberate. We have to add them in that are on purpose. Uh, And so it sounds listener like you need some replenishment, right? You talk about being spent a lot, right? And I just get this feeling that you're I don't know, your resource pool is pretty empty. Um so, I think about accumulating positive experiences to help replenish those emotional resources and I also think about please just to help yourself be less uh less vulnerable, right? To your large emotions in the first place, right? So At work itself, you might try sort of a, I don't know, pre, what's the word I want? Preemptive, preemptive tip before you even go in, or maybe subtle ways of practicing tip like progressive muscle relaxation or paced breathing when you're in the workspace itself to bring your emotions down enough that some of those self-soothing things are more likely to work, the ones you're already working on, right? You have the skills, you just need a little bit of a different uh, environment to utilize them in. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, outside of work, trying to do cope ahead, accumulating positive experiences and please. And I'm not going to say so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> skills. It's a good variety. Thanks. I know. I, I feel like I, normally I do a little bit more talking. I felt like that one I was just sort of spewing skills out, but hopefully it was still.
1: No, that's helpful. great because I'm not going to talk much about skills. Similarly to what Kate said about how. She could relate with how she felt near the end of your time in community mental health, Kate. Uh, I also related um, hearing this listener describe how burnout is showing up for them because, yep, when I worked at the girls group home where I first learned about DBT, and this was over 10 years ago now when I worked there. I mean, I never knew what I was going to go into any given day at work. Um, I could be physically assaulted that day. I mean, that, that's that's what I was dealing with. Ugh. I was dealing with girls who were physically aggressive, yeah. who would run away, who, you know, all, all kinds of things. So, yes, the heart palpitations, I got those when I would get off the freeway exit. So, Aww. you know, I'm within five minutes from the group home. And, yeah, my, my heart would be racing because I just never knew what I was walking into on any given day. So I get it. <laughs> and it's really difficult. Yeah. And the other thing... Now, as Kate acknowledged, of course, neither Kate or I are in the veterinary field, but I really want to acknowledge some unique things about that field. So, one, it very closely resembles the medical field, which we all know is a pretty stressful field to work in. However, if you think about veterinarians, what are things that they have to deal with? Not only are you dealing with animals that are like sweet helpless, innocent, sometimes have been through horrific trauma, and you are tasked with taking care of those animals and making them better, you're not just dealing with seeing animals struggling, you are dealing with their human owners who are struggling too because their animal is sick or injured or whatever it is. Plus, there's like that whole piece about like vet clinics don't take insurance, so you'll get Again, human owners who are, like, grappling with the financial piece of wanting to take care of their animal. Like, anyway. There's
0: a lot. It's, it's a lot. Oh, and, and they were talking it about, like, very animals much being aggressive. So not just, like, on the mm-hmm. one hand, the sweet, innocent animals. And on the other hand, I'm trying to save the life and of someone. who's trying to kill me. How many times am I going to get bit today? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 There's, there's so much unknown and so much that makes it really challenging. So that feels important to validate, listener, that like, yeah, your stress is really real. It's super real and legitimate. Um, The thing that stood out to me most about this, though, is because you're talking about really some strategies that can help make a specific moment better, right? Like the lavender oil example. If you smell lavender oil, um, I'm a fan of essential oils. Like if you just dab a couple drops on your wrist might smell that lavender oil throughout your day um, <laughs> as you're going about whatever you're doing at work. Might that help a little bit? Sure, that could help a little bit, but there's a big difference between trying to make a specific moment better, right? So the acronym improve, the long version of that, as DBT says, is improve the moment, Right? So there's those seven different strategies that you can use with improve. And will they improve the moment? Sure. Hopefully. But we got to be really clear here that you are working within a larger system and circumstances that are very much outside of your control. And so it doesn't mean to not do those things. Right? doesn't mean that we're saying, give up smelling your lavender oil. (laughs) It's not going to help you. Just forget about it. No. You can still do that. Just do it with the recognition of like, what will that actually help? That may help me enter the room with the next animal that I'm working with in a slightly better headspace. In an hour from now, am I probably going to be stressed because my boss just asked me to work overtime again for the third week in a row? Yes. And the lavender oil isn't going to maybe help me there. <laughs> or the Labrador oil, right? Isn't going to prevent that from happening in any way. The stressors are still going to be there, and that's a really important thing to acknowledge and have some radical acceptance around. So you can still do these little things to make the moment better, but just recognize, like, it's going to maybe make a very small dent. It just is a dent, nevertheless, but a. S- but a small one. So Mm -hmm. just have realistic expectations of how much these things can really do for you in the context that you're in. Kate was kind of touching on this and I agree with it. What I wrote down is that it can be really helpful to find a calming ritual to do before and after work. So this can be some of the self soothing stuff that you're talking about. Um, If your after work routine is like most of our after work routines, what you do is you go home, hopefully you try to eat some food, Maybe you take a shower or watch a TV show and then you go to bed. That's not a lot of self-soothing built in. (laughs) That's not a lot of self-care, right? This is what happens to a lot of people. We come home and we completely crash. We go to bed and we wake up and we do it the next day. And when we wake up the next day, we get out of bed and we just start moving. (laughs) You know, again, maybe, maybe not. Eat some food, get dressed, brush your teeth, get in the car, go. That kind of a thing. So trying to find some opportunities for self-soothing if that's your routine, something to do just for yourself at the end of your day, something to do just for yourself at the beginning of your day where you are really taking that time to take care of you would be really, really important. So that might be where self-soothing could come in handy and Kate was already acknowledging this. That might come in handy more when you're outside of work than when you're at work. Um, so, yeah. I think that's what we're getting at. You can't do much you can't do a whole lot when you're there. <laughs> so try to set yourself up before and after to
0: take care of you. Yes. I like it. Okay, I think that's the end. That is the end. The end of the world as we know it. Sorry. Uh <laughs> it's not the end of the world, it's just the end of the podcast. Uh but, you know, we want to keep making Q&As forever and ever. So uh keep sending us emails. DBT and me podcast at gmail.com or join the Facebook group. Uh, search for DBT and me podcast on Facebook. You can find us and we take a lot of content from there as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we'd love to see something from you in the future. And for now, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, or night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of those things. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.